Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you so much for joining us again this week, and I trust that you have been tuning in every week as we continue to share from the book of Hebrews. We're in a series right now on the book of Hebrews, and I really didn't think it was going to be as long as it is, but uh, we've been taking almost four programs for each chapter to kind of, you know, at least give you a good uh, uh, teaching on the book of Hebrews. I believe it's one of the most important uh, treaties of the New Covenant because it was really dealing with a bunch of Hebrews that are moving from an Old Covenant paradigm uh, to a New Covenant paradigm. And it's one of the most incredible, I believe, legal treaties of New Covenant truth that there is, that along with the book of Galatians and Romans, of course, all of it. But this really lays out the case for New Covenant. Uh, let me say that if you've missed anything, because we have really, really dug into this. This has been a, a real good study. I've so enjoyed this and sharing it with you, and I trust you've enjoyed it. Uh, but if you've missed any of them, uh, let me encourage you that you can get them by simply going to my website at lenhouse.com. Up in the upper right-hand corner, there's an icon that will take you straight to our YouTube channel. And everything that we have aired to date is on that YouTube channel, and you can watch it at your leisure. You can share it with your friends. You can use it in a Wednesday night uh, Bible study, a home group, anything you want to do. It's right there for you to be able to uh, to be able to study and go back and pause it, think about it, and go back and study it. It's there for your listening and watching pleasure. Also, we have uh, at the same location on our website there is a uh, direct link right beside the YouTube icon that will take you to our podcast. And you can simply click on that and it will take you to our audio portion of what we're sharing on the television program. And right beside of that is a little Android looking thing. And uh, it will take you to the RSS feed for Android devices. So you can get it, you can rehearse it, listen to it over and over again. I really, really encourage you that if you find something that you think would be a blessing to someone else, share it with them. Share it on your Facebook page. Share it, uh, you know, just tell them about it because that's what helps us get the word out about what we're sharing. And that's our heart and our goal is to get the gospel to as many people as we can because I believe the real gospel doesn't push people away, it draws them near. Now that being said, let me get in Hebrews again. Hebrews the 10th chapter is where we're going to start at today. And uh, chapter number 10, verse 1 said, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, but not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they, uh, they not have ceased to be offered, because the worshiper once purged, this is powerful, it's almost bigger than I am, but it's because the worshiper once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. I really sincerely doubt, even if in most of our churches we have brought people to the place where they have no more conscience of sin, that they understand the redemptive work of Jesus Christ so well that they don't believe they're sinners anymore. They believe that the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It goes on to say, but the in those sacrifices there's a remembrance made again of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, 
Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. And I believe the reason for that is because they were the shadow, he's the substance. The blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. They could cover sin for another year. But when Jesus came, John the Baptist said, right there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In verse 7 he said, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He takes away the first that he might establish the second. Now the first that he's taking away is he's taking away the first covenant. In other words, every demand that this first covenant could make, Jesus fully met it so that he could do away. In other words, he said, uh, uh, he said uh, above when he said, Sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither had pleasure in which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first. He's talking about the first covenant, that he might establish the second. That's the new covenant. All right? And then he said, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Grab this. This is just not my words. This is the word of the Lord. By the which will we are sanctified. We are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now let me just let me just elaborate on that. He didn't say we're sanctified by wearing the right clothes. He didn't say we're sanctified, which literally means to be set apart. We think that means to glow in the dark. But he's saying you're sanctified not on the basis of your performance, but you're sanctified on the basis of the offering of Jesus Christ once for all. For every high priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Verse 14, for by one offering, now grab this, you've got to really see this. For by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. Now that's probably all the farther I'm going to get today as far as unpacking this. But it says that, 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 that uh, the blood of bulls and goats could not, first of all, deal with the conscience, and it could not make the comers thereunto perfect. 
Now, one of the things that we remember back in Hebrews chapter 6, it said, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on under perfection. This chapter is going to tell you what that, how that perfection is achieved. And he tells you that, first of all, one of the things that he said is, he said, uh, verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So we are sanctified. If I said, if I, if I walked into church service and without teaching any of this, I said to you, how many of you feel like you're sanctified? Probably very few people would raise their hands unless they are measuring it based on what their performance is. I can remember, you know, a lot of the things that I used to believe sanctification were had to do with a dress code or a code of conduct. And while I do believe that behavior is affected, I don't think you become sanctified because you did this or you did that or you dressed a certain way. But I do believe once you're sanctified, you will live out of what is true about you. Let, let me come on back here and get this again. He tells you that we are sanctified uh, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So if I said to you, how many of you believe you're sanctified? Probably a lot of people would not raise their hand. But if I said, how many of you believe that if you are sanctified on the basis of the offering of Jesus and has nothing to do with your performance, how many of you could lift your hands and say, I believe I'm sanctified? Well, that to me, this became a real pivotal revelation to me. When I realized I was sanctified, not because of what I've done, but I was sanctified and set apart because of what He's done, that I could stand and say, bless the Lord, because of the offering of Jesus Christ, I'm sanctified. Now that's pretty good. That's powerful in itself. But He not only tells you in verse 10, you're sanctified, but he tells you on down here in verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. So he's telling you that your sanctification and your perfection is not based on your performance. It's based on the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus so that going on unto perfection, even in Hebrews chapter 6, the word perfection there is not a verb. It's not a doing. It is a noun. It's something you are because of who you are in. And if you are in Christ, you're a new creature. And you, old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. You say, well, I'm not acting like I'm perfect. That's because you don't believe you are yet. But the message that I'm preaching should bring you to a place that says, I've been perfected forever and then like Paul says, I believe it is in Philippians, he says, nevertheless, I like that, because he says, nevertheless, that means never anything less, always the more. But this is what he says, nevertheless, whereunto you have already attained, let us walk by that same rule. In other words, if we have attained that status and place of perfection, and that place of redemption, and that place of salvation, then we work out of that salvation rather than working to get it. In other words, we, where until we've already attained, let's walk by that rule. In other words, if we believe we've reached this place, then let's walk out of that. In other words, it's not a doing to be. It is a realizing that I already be, therefore I do. And, uh, you know, uh, I, 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 let me just use this example. It's like the example of... Uh, 
Rachel and Leah. Jacob is seeking for a wife. To me, Rachel and Leah, these two women represent two covenants. And uh, these two covenants, are, these two women represent two covenants. You'll find that also in the book of Galatians. But when Jacob was seeking for a wife, he goes down to the house of Laban. He says to Laban, I'm in love with Rachel. Rachel's name means a young lamb or the ewe lamb. He says, I'm in love with the lamb, and I really want to, I want to really be in covenant with the lamb. I want to marry the lamb. And Laban says to him what most religious systems say. If you want to marry the lamb, you are going to have to work. And so he works and works for seven years thinking he's going to get the lamb because you've got to work to get the lamb. And after seven years of working and works and labor and labor and works, it comes to the day of the wedding and he takes the older daughter Leah whose name, by the way, means weary. It also means, her name also means a wild cow. And so here is, uh, here is Jacob. He's coming to the wedding thinking he's going to get the lamb. But all he ends up getting is he gets, first of all, a woman with a veil over her face. Because when Moses is read, it always puts a veil over your face. See, people think they're getting the lamb by keeping the law. They're not getting the lamb. All they're getting is weary. They're getting Leah. Now, can you imagine the look on Jacob's face when he goes down to the, the, the marriage chamber that night and he consummates that relationship? He wakes up the next morning with the worst breath of the day and probably a bad headache from all the celebration of the, of the wedding party. But he thinks, hey, I'm here with my sweet bride. And he rolls over to kiss his bride good morning and he realizes, I didn't get the lamb. I'm in bed with a wild cow. And the Bible said that Leah was tender-eyed. That, another, that, that's, that's a King James nice way of saying she had a dumb look in her eye. One of my friends always said she had blue eyes, one blue north, one blue south. And so what, she, he woke up in the morning, and what he thought he was getting was not at all the lamb. I think there's a lot of people watching me today, and you came to the things of God, and they offered you the wrong covenant. You thought you were getting the lamb, but all you got was weary. You woke up one morning, and all you had was a wild cow with a dumb look at its eye, and you were locked into something because the veil had kept it veiled over, and you didn't know what you had, or you, 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 you really got sold a bad bill of goods. Now, I imagine when, when Jacob realizes, wait a minute, I have been hoodwinked, bamboozled. I was supposed to get Rachel. I was supposed to get the lamb. I, I love the lamb. And all I got was weary, and all I got was a veil, and all I got was what I worked for. Works, labor, labor, and works. And I woke up with a wild cow with a dumb look at its eye with a veil over its face, and all I got was weary. But Jacob comes out of that chamber, and he goes back up to Laban, and he says, you told me, you told me I could have the lamb. And Laban says to Jacob, yeah, but the law says the oldest has to marry first. You, hear, you get that? Yeah, but the law says. The law says the oldest has to marry first. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do, he said. You go fulfill her week of honeymoon, and then you come back, and I will give you Rachel, and then you can work for another seven years. And he does that. He comes back one week later, and he gets Rachel. Watch this. 
before he works. But once he gets her, he works. What are you saying, Brother House? I'm trying to tell you, you can't work to get this. But once you get it, you will work out of the salvation that you've got. You know, Paul says, and I, I should have looked this scripture up, but I wasn't sure I was going to use it. But Paul, I believe it's in the book of Corinthians, says, uh, I, I labored more than you all, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. In other words, uh, just because I'm talking about a perfection that's based on a sacrifice doesn't mean we can just act any old way and God just covers us. And He does cover us. I won't take that from it because the sacrifice is complete. Your salvation is secure in the work of the blood of Jesus and the faith in what He's done. But what I'm simply saying to you is this, is that you cannot work to attain perfection. It was given to you on the basis of a sacrifice and not on the basis of your performance. But once you get it, nevertheless, whereunto you've already attained, you walk by that rule. So when we begin to continually show people who they are, they can flow from that place. One of the very first things I remember that the Lord shared with me when I was beginning to move from this law mentality to a grace mentality was Matthew 5 was a key scripture for me. When I begin to realize that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are in the New Testament, but they are still in the Old Covenant because the blood of Jesus had not yet been shed. So Jesus is dealing with primarily a Jewish audience who He's trying to get them to repent. That's what this book from Law to Grace is about. He's trying to get them to repent from an Old Covenant paradigm and realize that He's offering them a New Covenant. So he does what's commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is the Beatitudes. You say, well, what is a Beatitude? Well, it's an attitude that you need to be in. And he starts to teach Beatitudes, attitudes that teach you how, first of all, to receive the kingdom, and then attitudes that teach you how to release and minister the kingdom. In other words, in Matthew 5, he tells you in order to uh, re receive the kingdom, Blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for you will be filled. Understanding again, he is talking to people under an old covenant who already think that they're righteous based on their performance. And he's saying to them, if you don't get hungry and thirsty for righteousness, you'll never be filled. There was another kind of righteousness that was coming on the scene that was not a product of works and labor. It was going to be the product of a gift of God because he that knew no sin was about to be made sin, as we can see here in Hebrews 10, that we might be made the righteousness of God. And so Jesus comes down through those Beatitudes, and He's beginning to teach, and He comes down and He says, He looks around and He sees the common people. And He says to them, you see, except your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no wise inherit the kingdom. Now, you've got to put the setting. See, these are the common people who look at these scribes and Pharisees like they're the holy dudes. That would be like saying to a Catholic, except your righteousness exceeds that of the Pope, you will in no wise enter in. Well, well the, the bottom line is that they're probably going, well, then I'm out, I'm done, I'm, I'm doomed, I'm, I'm lost as a goose. But then Jesus turns on the holy dudes, and He says to the holy dudes, He gives them the law because, see, they had watered the law down and put commandments of men and traditions of men until they had so made the law manageable to make themselves look holy in the eyes of the people. But Jesus says, He begins to turn on the holy dudes, and He said, Your law says 
thou shalt not kill. But I say, if you hate your brother, you're a killer. And man, I could see these holy dudes going, oh God, I've become a professional and acted like I didn't hate my, my brother or my sister. I can fake it, but I'm certainly not living it. And then he gives them one more law. He said, your law says don't commit adultery, but I say to you, he that looks on a woman to lust after has committed adultery already in his heart. And I could see the holy dudes going, oh God, I've become a professional at acting like I didn't notice that good looking woman. And then he comes on down through there and says, if your eye offends you, poke it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. See, what he's saying here, and then what we do with that is we get to those scriptures and say, no, 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 no. Jesus didn't mean that literally. He meant that spiritually. Poke your eye out, cut your hand off. No, he was talking about stuff that was required under the law and the sentence of death. He's talking about, you know, if you say this, you're in danger of the hell of fire. And, uh, you know, if you, uh, you know, uh, if you say to your brother, you fool, I mean, he lists a bunch of stuff down there. And he talks about the judgment and standing before the Sanhedrin. What he was talking about was, he was talking about the condemnation and the sentence of death that was passed upon people because of the law. But what he's doing here is he's taking it out of the realm of just don't commit adultery. He's saying, if you look upon a woman to lust after you committed adultery already in your heart. What Jesus is doing here is he's raising the standard of the law to meet what it was supposed to do. And what the purpose of the law was to do was to conclude all under sin so he could have mercy on all. In other words, Jesus is preaching this unwatered down so that you can, you know, so that you can uh, realize I need a Savior. That's the point of Matthew 5. He's not trying to up the ante to make you feel more condemned and guilty because if you read Matthew 5 wrong, you're going to leave every service saying, I'm doomed, I'm done because I cannot meet the criteria. I'll never forget I was in Missouri one time, uh, Peculiar Missouri, preaching for my good friend Mike Cronk at Joyful Sound Worship Center. If you're in that area, you ought to go and uh, visit their church. But I had my friend with me, and I said to him, we're going to run a prayer line tonight, and I want you to help me. I said, get an ink pen, because I'm going to sing just as I am without one plea. And if their eye offends them, I want you to poke that bad boy out. And man, I, I had somebody over here for chopping hands. And then I said one more thing. I said, listen, I want you to, uh, I need another knife. And so they got me a knife. And I said, I need another volunteer. And a man in the back said, I volunteer to help you. I said, well, good, because you're going to run my circumcision line. Because unless you're circumcised, you're not, you can't keep the law. And man, when I got to the circumcision line, first of all, there wasn't nobody in the eye poking, hand chopping, or circumcision line. And by the time I got to the circumcision line, every man in the house was going, brother, house. We're not under the law. I said, mission accomplished. Because that's what Jesus was trying to show them, is the futility of this external thing was not changing the heart. Only the Holy Spirit can change the heart. And so he was, Matthew 5, disqualifying them. And so that, uh, you know, let me see if I can find this, in, in, especially in, in Matthew 5. But in, in, he's disqualifying and indicting everything and everyone. And you see that also in the fifth chapter, or not, not the fifth chapter, but Romans 1, 2, and 3. You will see that he disqualifies everything. He indicts everything, Romans 1 and 2, so that insiders, outsiders, uh, Heathens, Jews, Gentiles, he concludes, the scripture said he concluded, he gave the law so that every mouth would be stopped 
and all the world would become guilty before God so that they would at some point realize, I need a Savior. See, uh, that the point of the law is to bring you to the end of yourself. But Matthew 5, I need to get this before I, uh, before I, I run out of time here and just... But Matthew 5, verse number 46, he, or I'm sorry, verse 48, is the, the nail in the proverbial coffin. Because he says in verse 48, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now he ups the ante again. And he's not saying, okay, do the best you can, try harder, redouble your efforts, have a New Year's resolution. Uh, you know, don't, don't hate your brother, don't, don't, don't go the extra mile. He gives all that stuff up to this point. And then he says in verse 48, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now if that don't put it out of your reach based on human effort, I don't know what else to do for you. But when you see that what Jesus is requiring in Matthew 5, is fully met in Hebrews 10 because he's telling you that your perfection that's being required here in Matthew 5 verse 48 is not based on your performance. It's based on the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all because he, through the, he, he, because the offering of Jesus for by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified, and you were sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I don't know if that does anything for you, but it makes me just want to worship God and say, thank you, Jesus, that the requirement of perfection that we are to go on to was now being handed to us through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ so that we could receive that and then walk in the perfection that was handed to us. You are perfected forever according to the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. And it's out of that perfection that we live, we work out of salvation, and we work out of our what we've already attained. It's not a doing to be. It's an already be. And because I be, that's why I do. So God puts us in a place of perfection so He can see us as if we're perfect. We're about to run out of time, and I just want to just encourage you that if you're being blessed by this and you want to sow a seed into our ministry, you can go to our website and do that via credit card. You could call the number on the screen. You can also write a letter to the address that will come up on the screen and send your check to Lynn House Ministries. We do need your help. It takes a generous uh, partner base to be able to do what we're doing with television. Also, while you're there at our website, you can pick up some of our books from Law to Grace I talked about tonight. I think it's a powerful book. It marries the gospel of grace with the gospel of the kingdom. And that's what Jesus was introducing in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Unforced Rhythms of Grace, of course, has been available. And it's, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. I'll show you how to take a real rest. I'll teach you the Unforced Rhythms of Grace. Powerful book. Uh, and this one, of course, is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we simply take and preach Jesus from the book of Revelation. I trust you're being blessed. Tune in again next week. We're going to continue to unpack this from Hebrews 10. And thank you for joining us. And to tune in again next week at the same time. God bless you today. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. 
In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.